That you don't doubt, and I'm, that is really loud. Can you take me down some? That I will do anything to help you remember the sermon series. Now, that is the two-minute version of the 15-minute video I watched, and I couldn't stand part of it, so I fast-forwarded through it. So uh, anyway, if you got 15 minutes to kill and you want to see some, some really bad um, technology, then, then go look that up on YouTube. Now, we're starting a new series. It's only two weeks long, and we're going to talk about the things in your life that you need to be committed to. We are the sum total of our habits, and we're going to talk about some things that we need to be committed to today. Um, I, for some reason, I have this fascination with Mount Everest, and I've read a lot of stuff about them, and I go back and I watch uh, documentaries about Mount Everest, and I've seen these different people climbing and all this stuff. Well, the, the very first guy who was going to climb it was, was named George Mallory. He was a British schoolmaster, and he decided he was going to climb, at the time, the unconquered mountain of Mount Everest. This was in 1924. When, it, when a reporter asked him, why would you do that? He replied that famous line, I'm going to climb it because it's there. So on June 8th, the 38-year-old father of three young children was last seen trudging up the mountain, Mount Everest, uh, with, his, with his companion, Andrew Irvine. 75 years later, in 1999, an American expedition team discovered Mallory's perfectly preserved frozen body on the slopes of the mountain. And the discovery reignited this debate about whether Mallory or his climbing partner had reached the summit, because if they had, they would have gotten there 29 years uh, sooner than anybody else on, on record. Now, Mallory's son kind of put it in perspective, and here's a quote. He said, To me, the only way you achieve a summit is to come back alive. The job is half done if you don't get down again. End quote. Who cares if he was the first man to reach the summit of Mount Everest? Mallory sacrificed his life in an attempt to achieve uh, an unnecessary goal. He was committed to climbing the mountain. There's nothing thing wrong with that. He was committed to climbing the mountain because it was there and history judges him a failure. His own children judge him a failure. And, and so what we want to talk about today is who cares if you're committed to the wrong things. We need to be committed to the right things. Um, Mallory's son thinks he's a failure not because he was committed to climbing, but because his commitment to climbing caused him to miss his son's entire life. Now, what we got to figure out is there are some things in life worth committing to. There's some things in your life that aren't worth committing to. We need to examine our lives and figure out what is worth it, what is not. And so in order to understand that, in order to figure out what is too legit to quit in our lives, we're going to define commitment. All right, here it is. You ready? Commitment means to pledge myself to a position no matter the cost. Pledge myself to a position no matter the cost. Was Mallory committed? You bet. Climb that mountain no matter what. He was committed to the wrong thing and it killed him. And so I've got a question. Why is it so hard for you and I to be committed to the right things? And I've got a, a, a pretty simple answer. It's because we follow the path of least resistance. We tend to choose comfort, convenience over doing what's right. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking about professional athletes. Have you ever wondered why professional athletes have, have coaches? I mean, these are the people who are paid big bucks to play games, and they're the best in the world at these games. Why do they need coaches? 
Because left to our own desires, we're not going to do the hard work. We need coaches to make us do what we don't want to do. Tom Landry once said this, my job is to get grown men to do what they don't want to do so that they can achieve what they've always wanted to achieve. High paid professional athletes have to have a coach because left to ourselves, we will not do the hard things because they're not a lot of fun. So I've got a question for you today. This is where we're headed with this two week series. What does God want from you? And if you read the entire Bible, we can sum it up in three words. What God wants from you, he wants your whole life. There's not a single verse in the Bible that says you can be a Christian and live any way you please. God wants all of you. He doesn't want 10%. He doesn't want 50%. God doesn't even want 99% of you. He wants all of you. And this comes from one place is Romans 6.13, which says, Give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. And use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. The two things in there that I want you to really see are completely and whole body. Christianity is an all or nothing deal. And one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, he said, The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It can't be moderately important. It's all or nothing. If it's true, then it should determine everything you do. If it's not true, you shouldn't even be here. You're wasting your time today. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It's all true or nothing is true. And a lot of people that claim to be Christ followers, I've been in church a long time. I've been a minister 30 years now, 19 years as a youth minister, actually 31 years, 12 years as a pastor. And I've seen a lot of people that sit on the fence and they say, I just don't know what God wants from me. Don't ever say that to a preacher because let me show you what God wants from you. Deuteronomy 10, 12. This is what the Lord your God wants you to do. Right? There's several people, I say, do you want to know God's will? And people say, I want to know God's will. And and the Bible will say, this is God's will for you. All right, here it is. This is what the Lord your God wants you to do. Respect the Lord your God and do what he has told you to do. Love him. Serve the Lord your God with your whole being. Well, a lot of folks say, well, I'll, I'll serve God in my spare time. It's as if their life was a pie graph. Go ahead and put that up there, would you, Ernie? That pie graph. Okay. You can't see this because my words are too small, but let's, let's say that, that social life, job, family, recreation, sex, and spiritual. And, and you notice sex gets 3% and spiritual life gets 2%. I just guessing. I don't know. Y'all can, y'all can make up your own thing. It's a, it's as if you segment your life. And so my social life is over here. That's still really loud. When I get excited, it sounds like I'm killing somebody, you know. Um, so it's, it's like saying my social life is over here. It's segmented from my family life. It's segmented from my job life. And then way over there, this little bitty sliver of my life is my spiritual life. Well, that's not biblical. The biblical model is this. Put the next one up there. Your spiritual life is 100% of your life. And then when you go out from outside of these doors or you leave your home, everything you do, you do as a child of God. You do your work as a child of God. You do your recreation as a child of God. Everything is influenced by who God is. So the biblical picture is the whole pie. Your whole life is God's. It belongs to him. And then you do the individual things through his power. Now, Jesus told us you can't serve two masters. What he said was you cannot serve both God and money. What he's talking about is you can't have two number one priorities in your life. Um, You don't get to have two number ones. How many happily married folks do you know that have two spouses? Ladies and gentlemen, I now present to you Mr. and Mrs. and Mrs. Or Mr. and Mr. and Mrs. No, you never see that, do you? Because anybody with a brain is going to say, uh-uh, I'm, I'm number one. and you, you, don't get, you don't get to stand here and proclaim before God. Right, ladies? 
Because what would you do if, if a guy said, honey, I'll give you 180 days a year. You're number one. If you're smart, you say, there's the dough. Don't let it hit you behind. Oh, baby, I'll give you 360 days a year. Those other five days I'm going to live. No, not anybody with a brain. You don't get to do that. In order to get the benefits from a relationship with God, which is protection, which is salvation in heaven, which is provision, which is peace, which is security. In order to get those things, it costs you your life. God says, I want everything. So the real question is, what is going to be first place in your life? Your career, your family, saving for retirement, maintaining good health. Nothing wrong with any of those things. They're all good things. And God approves of all of those things, except when they're in first place. Bible says that if you put anything above God, it's an idol. And and I'm telling you this today because I'm kind of I'm kind of worried about kind of worried about your futures. Because if if God leaves me on this earth for a while, I'm probably going to do some funerals of some people sitting here. I've been involved in a lot of funerals, and I've decided there's two really only two types of funerals. There's good funerals and there's bad funerals. The good funerals the, the, the life of the person kind of preaches the, the, the sermon. I, I get to share about their love, their impact, their grace, how, how they just influence lives and people are gathered there and, and they're, they're usually excited because they know they're in heaven. They're sad because they were such a powerful influence in their life and, and it's just an incredible time and when we finish, we are just glory, glorifying God and saying, God, we can't wait to meet them in heaven. The bad funerals, I usually talk about golf or decorating. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But when someone stands up at your funeral to, to talk about your life and the only thing they can tell is golf stories, that's pretty sad. And it says a great deal about your priorities. Because your commitments will define your legacy. They will determine your legacy. One day Jesus was walking through Jerusalem and, and he said to this guy, come follow me. And the guy said, okay, I'll follow you. But Lord, let me first take care of some things that are really urgent. And there's a problem with that phrase, Lord, let me first. Because you can't say Lord and me first at the same time. If you're saying me first anywhere in your life, he is not in charge, which means you are on your own. Because God says it's all or nothing. You don't get to play this game with me. Um, and so I want, I want, what I want you to look at your life today and examine is, is there any place you're saying, Lord, let me first do this. Let me first do this. Let me first do this. And then I'll serve you. I'll serve you later in life. God says it doesn't work like that. And see, here's the thing. Your, your heavenly father is such a loving father that he's given you the secret to a successful life. And it's in scripture. If you put God first, he'll take every, care of everything. Proverbs 3, 6 says this, in everything you do, put God first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Now, just curious, anybody here want to be successful? Let me see hands. 50% of you want to be successful? All right. I'll talk to you 50%. Bible says put God first in everything. But a lot of people are living part-time Christian lives. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. And a lot of people casually date the bride of Christ. There's no such thing in scripture as casually dating the bride. If you put yourself first, God says, stop it right now. I want all of your life, every bit of it. You don't get to make the decisions without consulting him. Question number two. Okay, if God wants my whole life, what does it take for me to live that type of committed life? And we can answer this in one question. I mean, one answer, one little word, 
Commitment. You probably saw that coming, right? Everybody here is committed to something. And do you know where you're committed? It's in the areas that you want to be committed. You get done at what is important to you. Every day, you'll do those things. What if you were as committed to having a daily time with God as you are in not missing a meal? Right? What if you were as committed in serving others as you are in getting up and going to work every day? What if you were as um, committed in attending church as you are in not missing that TV show that you refuse to miss come hell or high water? In fact, when hell and high water comes, you get mad and yell at the little break-in, you know, because the, the weather alert comes on. I watch Fox 4 News, and, and all the time people are calling in, why are you, why are you cutting in on Judge Judy? <laughs> and they say it like that, and I'm going, really? They're mad because somebody dared to cut in on their show. There's another word for commitments, and you might like that better. It's called habits. Really, you are the sum total of your habits. And for some of you, that's good. Some of you, it's not so good. We need to work on that. Hebrews 12, 1 says, let us strip off every weight that shows, that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Two words in there, and you know one of them, you may not know the other one. Weight and sin. Now, you know what sin is. The, the weights and sins, they're the things that hold you back from reaching your full potential in Christ. And, and sins do, sin is doing something God tells you not to do or not doing something God tells you to do. We used to have this guy, this, this one deacon, and we would, this is so bad, and I'm sorry, forgive me, Lord. But we used to, this deacon would pray, and he would pray a lot right before the offering. Because, you know, in the Baptist church, they would have the guys come up, and then the deacon of the week would come up and pray. And there was this one dude, and he would come up, and, and we would, you would hear the teenagers in my youth group going, wait for it, wait for it. Because he would say, Lord, forgive us of our sins of omission as well as commission. And commission means you, you do something. Omit, omission means you don't do something and everything. Lord, forgive us. And then we'd like, amen. And he would. He'd say, that's the last thing he would say. There was his last phrase. Amen. All right. Anyway, so there's two things. You, you understand that, that you either don't do something God tells you to do or you fail to do something. Did I just say that right? You don't do something God tells you to do or you fail to do something God tells you to do. Something like that. <laughs> so what are the weights? A weight is something that's not necessarily wrong. It's just not necessary. A weight could be a relationship. It could be some activity, an expectation, a club you're a member of, a memory you can't let go of, a fear, or your job. And in order to grow, the Bible says sometimes you have to say no to things. Sometimes you have to let go of some things. Many times you'll have to say no to the good things in life in order to experience the best things in life. And, and that's what God wants you to do is be committed to the best thing. So let's figure it out. What does God want us to be committed to? There's three big ones. And, and I'm going to talk to you about this for just a second. First one is the spiritual commitment. The Bible tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's real easy to tell where a person's heart is. Just watch when they talk about something. If they hate their job, it comes out very quickly. If they love their job, it comes out very quickly. If they hate their spouse, that comes out very quickly. If they love their spouse, that comes out quickly too. Wherever you are, watch their body language. Watch their eyes. Watch their countenance. Listen to how they talk about what's going on in their lives. And you'll find out very quickly what they are passionate about. And so what I want you to, uh, to, to look at your life today and discover is what is it that you are passionate about? Where is your heart? 
Psalm 37, 5 says, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him, and he will help you. See, this is, this is a big thing. Most people that I know are trusting themselves. They're not trusting in God. You ask them about their prayer life. Well, yeah, I pray. When do you pray? I don't know. I prayed sometime, maybe last month. When's the last time you read the Bible? I don't know. But, but God is number one in your life. Yes, God is number one. Um, it, what most people are doing is trusting in themselves instead of trusting in God. And, and here's the thing. Did you know there's actually two ways to get to heaven? And before you stone me, let me explain. There's, there's two plans. Plan A is the perfection plan. Plan A is, I will never say a bad word. I can't think a bad word. I can't cut somebody off on the road. I can't wave a certain digit at somebody who cut me off on the road. I can never tell a white lie to get myself out of trouble. I can't even exaggerate a story to make myself look better. I can't do any of those things. That's the perfection plan. And the perfection plan says, I will be perfect so that I earn my way into heaven. Anybody here want to try that plan? Because we will shoot you down right in front of the whole church. We'll find your friends and we'll start telling your faults. Nobody wants to try that one? So, so nobody wants to go the perfection plan. But there's a second plan and it's actually God's plan. It's called the grace plan. God looked down and he loved us so much and he said, there's no way they can make it to my perfect heaven. So I'm going to send Jesus and I'm going to offer him in their place and they can get into heaven based on Jesus' life. He said, but I'm going to give them a choice. And some people are going to choose not to follow Christ. Some people are going to choose to stand before God on their own merit. And you know what the Bible says very clearly? God's going to say, I do not know you. Depart from me. But the people who've chosen just to to humble themselves before God and bow the knee before Christ, God's going to say, actually, Christ is going to say, this is one of ours. He belongs to us. Come on in. She belongs to us. Come on into heaven. See, a lot of people haven't committed their lives to Christ. And don't you dare think that you're going to get into heaven if you're not a child of God. Why is it that there are three children whose last name is Washburn can walk into my house anytime they want to? And I'm not offended. Well, maybe. Depends on your attitude, right? <laughs> Sometimes I may be offended. Why is it they can go to my refrigerator and they can, they can um, take food out and they can eat and they can, they can watch TV and watch whatever they want to unless I'm in the room. They can sit in any chair they want to unless I'm in the room. Then it's, there's daddy's chair. There's one chair. I don't want to sit anywhere else. And I've been alive the longest in the house. And I've made the most money and contributed the most. So it's my honking chair. Get your butt out of it. Right? Now, other than my chair, they can sit anywhere in my house. And my sink. I don't have much. I don't ask for much. I ask for a chair and a sink that I don't want anybody to jack with. I don't want your spittle in there. I don't want your whiskers in there, your makeup. This is moss. Anyway, why is it my kids can come into my house and I'm not offended? Because they wear my name. Because they're mine. Now, I love y'all. There are way too many firearms in my house for you to just come walking in my door without, without me knowing. In fact, this week, um, Travis was, was texting me, and Travis actually texted me, and he goes, hey, man, can I come by? Well, I'm here at church. This is on Wednesdays, and I just assumed he was talking about church. So I'm sitting out there with the band. We're having a meal. We're eating, and we're just having this good old time. And I said, sure, come on by. So he goes to my house. I'm sitting at church. And so Travis texts me, and he says, I'm here. And I said, well, come on in. And, and he goes, 
your house? And I said, no, the church. And he goes, oh. So texting, we were totally, so when he gets out here, he goes, man, I'm just not in the habit of walking to somebody's house unannounced. And I said, that's a good habit. You know, don't, don't go walking in there because you get shot around here. This is East Texas, redneck. And don't you think for a second that someone who's not a child of God is going to sneak into heaven? Jesus said there's one way. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. And so you're not going to sneak in the house. He's going to say, I don't know you. Your name's not here. It's not in the book of life. Depart from me because I don't know you. Some of you today, if you were to die when you leave this place, you don't know for sure you'd go to heaven because you've never committed your life to Christ. And (laughs) Stacy Colander and and Rachel were talking about me rocking the pinky ring. Well, it's basically because I'm fat and it won't fit on my ring finger anymore, you know. But I want, shut up. Um, (laughs) Thinks because he's got white hair, he's special because he has hair. But I want everybody to know that I'm, I'm married, so I wear a pinky ring because it won't fit on my other finger. And, and I do it every now If I go someplace formal, I'll put it on, then it takes me days to get it off. So anyway, um, this, this ring represents my commitment to my wife. This, this May, May 25th, will be 23 years. And, and it's been, I'm just going to tell you, it's been a great ride. And, and that woman is awesome, and I love her more today than I did 23 years ago when I said I do. But you're not kind of married. I stood before God. My brother was the pastor. My best friend was one of the, was my best man, and, and I had another brother and a brother-in-law who were groomsmen, and then I had some friends. I mean, I had all these people witnessing that I stood there, and I said before God and to Janie, you are the one for me and I'm not leaving. And so this, this ring represents a commitment that I made to her. And, and sometimes, I told somebody this the other day, that sometimes we, have, we get in arguments and have little fights or whatever, and, and Janie can't stand it. You know, I'm the type, I'm just going to tell you, if I'm ticked, I'll tell you I'm mad. Janie's not, she'll stuff it. And, and it drives me nuts. People like me, it drives us nuts because we go, what's wrong? Nothing. I'm 23 years. I'm just like, all right, you're lying. And when you want to tell me, tell me what's wrong. We'll work this out. And, and there's been many times through the years because she, she doesn't like, she doesn't like it when there's conflict. She wants everything to be great and everything's not always great because we're human. And so there'll be times that I'll just, I'll just, if we're laying in bed, I'll just reach over and I'll grab her hand and I'll say, I'm not leaving you. If we're in a little tiff or whatever, I'll go and I'll, I'll put my arms around her and, and I'll say, I'm not leaving. I'm not happy, but I'm not leaving. We're going to work this out. And, and so I love hanging out with my wife. Um, I, I don't understand. I don't understand not making your spouse right underneath God in your commitments. I don't understand that. If you want to do what the scripture says then you commit for life. And if you want to follow Jesus Christ, it's a commitment. You're not kind of a Christian. You're not kind of married. You're either married or not. You're either a Christ follower or you're not. And there has to be a time that you commit your life to Him. That's what I'm saying. 
The, the ring symbolizes May 25th, 1991, that I promised my life to Jesus. Uh, to Jesus, to Janie. Jesus too. And the people that were baptized last week, their baptism is a symbol. Their baptism did not save them. Their baptism was a symbol to you that I have given my life to Jesus Christ and I'm committed to him. And they stood up publicly to let everybody know about that. Some of you need to commit to Jesus Christ because you're not in the family of God. Some of you need to be baptized. And if you put on your card today that you want to be baptized, baptism, like I said, doesn't save you. But don't tell me you're committed to Christ if you bail on baptism. That's the first thing Jesus told you to do. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So some of you need to be baptized. If you put that on your card, we'll baptize you next Sunday. It's that big a deal. It doesn't save you, but it shows that you are a follower. You're being obedient to Christ. Some of you need to commit to new life. And, and today we're having our 101 class. There's several people signed up for our class, and it's not too late. Ernie's back there going, yes. Dude, we thought Ernie would already joined. He'd been sneaking around here, and he's coming today. But if you want to come today, we feed you lunch. If you have children, we take care of them. We feed them lunch. Some of you need to commit to membership because membership helps you grow spiritually. It, you are committed. You, you, you become whatever you're committed to. If you're committed to the church, the church is going to help you grow. It helps us know who we can depend on in the church, the membership. Some of you need to commit to service. You will never grow to be the person God wants you to be until you serve. The Bible, if you want to know what Jesus was like, read Philippians 2, 4 through 11. And it says that Jesus Christ was a servant. And if you're not serving, you're not having the same attitude as Christ. You are not Christ-like if all you ever do is take from the church and never give. You need to have the attitude with Christ. Without serving, you're not like Christ. Some of you need to commit to tithing. And man, we'll, we'll get into this. Um, tithing means 10% of the income. And, and I believe the scripture teaches that. And I'll show you several places in the Old Testament where it says it. I'll show you in the New Testament where Jesus commends tithing, 10%. Now, nobody comes and checks all of your records or anything like that. But, but if everybody were to tithe to give 10%, churches all over the world wouldn't have any issues. And in fact, we, we just uh, checked on, we just got our bid for our concrete out here and our covered drop-off area. And, and I'm not even going to tell you the big number. I'm going to tell you the smaller number because everybody's clapping. Yes, we're going to get concrete in the covered drop-off. Well, just to get out here over to the house, we're going to move the fence and do some stuff like that. Get a few more parking places, cover drop-off. $42,000. Woo! Go, Ernie. And, and here's the thing. We're, we're going to pray. We believe God's going to provide that. Eventually, we're going to concrete the whole parking lot. Not today. George told me that number, and I went, holy cow. God better sell many cattle on a thousand hills um, if we're going to concrete everything. Committing to tithing, all that does is that tells God that you trust him financially. And I'm going to tell you, I've been a tither since I was a college student. And when I was a college student, I was telling the band this morning, I paid $160 rent, and that was stretching it for me. I, I lived on macaroni and cheese because that was the cheapest thing they had. And my roommate would buy the, the milk because I couldn't even afford the milk. And, and I tithe. And I remember writing that $16 check and going, that's a tank of gas because it's $1.10 back then. That's, that tells you how old it was, how old I am. <clears throat> and, and I've been tithing since then. But I'm going to tell you, God's math is different because if you, if you acknowledge God with, with that 10%, he makes the 90% go further. And I'll give you a money-back guarantee. 
New Life Community Church will keep records over the next three months. If you tithe of your income and if God doesn't bless you over those three months, we will give you your money back. You can write that on the card. Carlene did that. I told you all about that. Carlene did that way back when, and she's been tithing ever since. The spiritual commitment is the foundation of your life. Um, Ernie, put up that upside down pyramid. See, here's what a lot of people are doing. What, what I believe and what scripture teaches is the most important thing in your life is, is the spiritual. That would be the top there. The next most important thing is your relational. We're going to talk about that. And then, then your vocational. Many of you, the reason you're having problems in your life is because you've got the least important down here and your foundation is jacked up. The reason your, your life is always falling over, you're always having issues, is because your pyramid is upside down. The foundation of your life is not spiritual. It could be relational, and if the foundation of your life is relational with anybody other than Jesus, you will be disappointed repeatedly. Because <laughs> when I look to G- Janie to fill the God-sized need in my heart, I am very disappointed. She's awesome, but she's not God. When she looks at me to fill that God-shaped void, she is very disappointed because I'm not God. So if you will get this turned upside correctly, upside correctly, right side up, thank you, and get the spiritual on the bottom, then next is your relational. Who do you run with? And I've, I've quoted this verse, actually, I had it quoted to me way back when I was a teenager. That was a long time ago, back before Hammer even did that video. Um, First Corinthians fifteen thirty three says this: Do not be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits. And we said earlier, habits and commitments are the same thing. So you could read this: Bad friends will ruin good commitments. In our children's lives, there are people that we want to dial out of their lives because they're just not not good influences. There's people that are great influences we want to dial them in. It is the same in your adult life. There's some people you don't need to be hanging out with because they pull you down. And, you know, if, if you want to be committed to your marriage, then hang out with people who are committed to their marriages. If you want to be committed to a church, then hang out with people who are committed to the church. And, and I'm just going to say this to you. And, and I don't mean this ugly at all. But my number one commitments outside of, of God and my family are to people who are committed to New Life Community Church. Yesterday I went out and hung out with Jeff and Teresa. Um, every week I meet with Joe and, and John and then we just spend time together because number one, they love God. Number two, they love their spouses. Number three, for whatever weird reason, they love me and I like that. That doesn't mean I'm not going to, I'm telling you that, that, that you've got to, you got to put value and time and effort into the people who are committed to Christ. If you're, because it's, it's too hard to live the Christian life without people cheering you on, right? You want people to encourage you, to help you carry your load. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've shown up at, at Jeff's house. You know, one time we just went over there because we called him. We said, what are y'all doing? We don't care. We're coming over. We need to be with somebody who likes us. And they're like, you sure you're coming to the right place? So yeah, shut up. You got to align your lives with people who are pursuing Christ if you want to be like Christ. In the Old Testament, we look at Samson as a guy who is a complete failure. Had everything in the world and he was a failure. You want to know why? 
He was consistently at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people, and we consider him a failure. Now, there's another guy that we consider um, one of the heroes of the faith, and his name is Daniel, the guy who overcame the lion's den. Do you know who Daniel hung out with before he ever went to the lion's den? The asbestos boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's, their, that's actually their, their Jewish names, but nobody knows that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, if you remember their story, these guys were, um, the, the king built this 90-foot statue, gold statue, and he said, when you hear this certain song, you've got to bow down and worship this idol. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't do it. And so the king calls him in, and these guys were good guys, and he, they were part of his kingdom, and he said, all right, guys, I'm going to give you a second chance. If you'll bow down right now, I will not throw you into the, into the fiery furnace. And they said, sorry, we're not going to do it. And they said, our God is able to protect us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down because we're going to serve the one true God. The Bible says that the king got so mad that his face distorted with rage. He had them heat up the furnace seven times hotter than normal. The guards who go to throw them in, the guards immediately die because it's so hot. And the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, go, in, Abednego, go into the fiery furnace and they're completely protected. And the king looks in and he says, we threw in three. There's, there's a fourth one. It looks like the son of God. So they call him back out. The guys come walking back out. And the Bible says their clothes weren't singed. Nothing on them was touched. They didn't even smell like smoke. And needless to say, the king was impressed with their God. Those are the dudes that Daniel hung out with. Would you say that they were one true God? Hello. Yes. Who are you hanging out with that will determine what your life ends up looking like? And then the last one, let's just look at this very quickly, vocational commitment. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. God is your real boss. So you've got to, you gotta, you gotta work for him. I actually had somebody in this church tell me one time that they only do hard work if their boss is paying attention. And, and, and I said to them, this, this was somebody who's been a Christian a long time. And I said, I'm going to tell you something. When I'm mowing a lawn, and I'm tempted to miss one little stick up because it just makes me crazy if there's one little stick up. I mean, if I put everything up, I'll go pick it with my hand. If I drive by and see it, I'll stop and pick. Because the Bible says, do your work as if you're doing it for God. And so I don't think about whoever is paying the bill. I think about God watching me. Yeah, they wouldn't notice and I'd probably get away with it. But when I'm mowing a lawn, I do it for God. And, and so everything we're, we do, we're supposed to do with excellence as if God were watching because he is. Now, some of you are in tough situations and you want to give up and you want to quit. But here's the thing. Many times we quit right before God brings us to a breakthrough. And I think God is testing us to see if we're going to be committed before he brings a solution. If you're the one who always walks away, if you're the one that's always quitting, you're the the one that's always running away from a situation, maybe the problem isn't the situation. Maybe the problem is you. And you need to learn how to be committed to the right things. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Some of you need to commit to Christ today. Some of you need to commit to new life, commit to serving, commit to marriage, commit to parenting, commit to your job. I just want to tell you it's always too soon to quit. If you've never given your heart to Christ, the Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the way we say it around here is we just ask Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life. And you say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need a savior. 
I believe Jesus died for me and I accept his payment for my sin. If you pray that, I want you to write that on your card here in just a minute. Some of you, you, you've been playing the Christian game and it's time to step up. Today is the day you need to recommit. And you just say, God, God, I, I, I've left my first love. Something's wrong and my heart's grown cold and I want to come back to you. Help me to do that. Father, we just want to take these words of yours and we want to apply them to our lives and we want to be changed because of you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.